podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket after the fourth day's play in the third test at the Aegeus between England and Pakistan. And I want to sound excited, I want to sound elated, I want to sound really upbeat, but I don't feel it because watching that day's play was not much better than watching the grass grow. It was slightly and I suppose at least Jimmy Anderson took his 599th wicket, though Looking at the, the weather forecast and the weather for, for the remainder of the day today, as well as the forecast for tomorrow, uh, it looks as if he might be on 599 wickets for some time. Who knows when he's going to take that 600th test match wicket? I mean, we don't know when England are going to play their next test match. Uh, they've got a day tomorrow to try to wrap up this game. Uh, the rain in the morning forecast who knows when the ground is going to dry out so lots of imponderables going into the final day you hope he would get the chance uh, to do it although having said that it'd be great actually if he took his 600th test wicket in front of a crowd and uh, you know we've had this whole summer of test matches being played without a crowd and you some great achievements Jack Crawley's double hundred, England's wonderful, amazing victory at Old Trafford, West Indies, thrilling run chase in the first test at the Aegeus. And it, it, it always felt he just needed a crowd. Perhaps Anderson is waiting for a crowd for his 600 test wicket. Perhaps that's what Joss Butler's saying tonight as well, after that remarkable uh, drop off Sean Massoud. I was, it, I was just inexplicable, really. I talk about a bit of a wobble after the ball had gone past the edge. I mean, it, it looked like one of those ones that you'd expect a keeper to catch 100 times out of 100. I'm sure even Josh Butler would say that. I mean, you might be able to explain quite why it, it happened and it did quite dip on him. But it, it looked you know, very, very catchable. It, it, it was one of those, actually, when you were watching it, you thought, is, is he nicked that or not? Because no one seemed to react. It was, it, was, it was a really strange one. He saw the replay, really big nick. And, you know, as much a dolly, really, as the one Stuart Broad dropped the previous evening. Mm. Yeah, and, and actually, we've seen, as a result, such a variety of emotions from Jimmy's face, haven't we? Uh, you know, complete sort of, we were talking about this yesterday, you know, complete fury when the slips uh, missed the catch and sort of uh, astonishment when uh, Broad dropped the one he did last night. And then today, you know, bemusement, really. How did Butler make such a mess of that? I suppose, um, well, I remember actually quite a few catches going down off my bowling uh, at Lords, and it wasn't at long off or ha-ha on the nursery or, you know, at the top of the father time or something like that. It was actually uh, catches at second slip. And it, it, Mike Gatting dropped a few off me, actually. And there was this weird uh, scenario at Lords, which is a, a very unique ground, but the slip fielders at the pavilion end for the bowling at the nursery end are actually slightly lower than the pitch because of the slope. And so what happens is their hands go a tiny bit lower than they should sometimes because the ball is, is slightly higher or the batsman is slightly higher and the ball just keeps coming at them and doesn't dip or drop as much as they're expecting because they're at a slightly lower position and they get hit on the wrist. And I think that's what happened to Butler today. And I'm not saying there's a slope at the Aegeus Bowl like there is at Lords, but somehow... That ball, and it's part of the, it's all that to do with that kind of wobble seam stuff and the ball moving after it's past the stumps, that after bat swing we talk about, and this sort of after bat dip as well. And this was after bat sore, you know, the ball just kept coming 
rather than dipping as Butler was expecting. Yeah, and it just it actually hit him. It didn't hit his gloves at all. It hit him on the on the inner thigh. That was the one that that went down today. Anderson had a he almost he almost had a smile on his face as if well you know I'm getting used to this now. And you, the other sort of aspect to it as well is you you almost felt as if. I don't know. I was trying to explain it. Almost as if the England players had a sweepstake about when Anderson was going to take his 600th Test match wicket, and then sort of no one had it for this Test match. It was all for his for his next Test match. So, you know, so that's four players in the side who, who dropped a catch off his bowling. I and mean, whether it really would have advanced England's cause that much if that wicket had fallen, Sharmasu was out um, after they resumed after that long uh, delay for rain. I mean, who knows? England up against it. I would thought to win the game now the pitch has gone you know it's pretty flat just a pretty good pitch for you know a groundsman who didn't have a great deal of time to prepare a surface between you know the last test match and this one only three days and all the weather problems as well but yeah it's, it's actually quite a good pitch for batting what do England do Yoz do you think uh, you know they've, they've got this problem haven't they they find it quite easy to take wickets in England in, in helpful conditions. We talked about this last night, you know, with the lights on, you know, Anderson, absolutely, you know, he's such a handful. Uh, but what do England do when they you know, try to take wickets on flat pitches overseas? Well, I think uh, two things. I think that Joffre Archer needs to sort of find out what sort of bowler he is for sure because at the moment he's still not sure he has produced these spells and in fact in this test he has produced a couple of overs of 93 miles an hour plus and that was quite impressive he didn't uh, really sustain it and just as he looked as if he was going to try that uh, today going round the wicket and maybe sort of trying a few rib ticklers and so on the light uh, rather ruined it so he's got to find a way of, of, of taking wickets himself. And that doesn't necessarily mean he has to bowl at 93 miles an hour. But I think if he's not really clicking in terms of speed, and that can happen to anybody, he needs to maybe try uh, different positions on the crease or or try to be a bit more imaginative. He <clears throat> tries the odd slower ball and so on, and that's good. Maybe the odd Yorker. So they need to find somebody who's going to experiment a bit. And that can that could be Archer. That could be Mark Wood. That could be Ollie Robinson, who obviously has a bit of pace and, and he's quite an exciting cricketer who hasn't yet had a chance. Uh, the other thing they need to do, as I think probably, is try and get Rashid involved. Because even though his test record isn't great, he is a, a clever bowler who, with the right sort of protection uh, and the right sort of situation, could take wickets at test level on these kind of barren pitches. And and I think there, there has been talk of you know getting him back in to into the fold. And I think that will be necessary when England next go to Australia, if not India. Haven't England been here before with Adil Rashid? I mean, he's a fine bowler in white ball cricket, instrumental in England uh, winning the World Cup. I mean, two things about it. A, haven't they tried that before? And B, does he really want to play red ball cricket? And, you know, does he actually really just want to concentrate on on white ball cricket now uh, for the rest of his career? Well, that's a good question, which I suppose we need to ask him. Uh, but I think, I bet you that, that lots of cricketers will be sort of reflecting 
uh, after this uh, weird summer with the pandemic and everything about what they want to do in the future. Another one might be Alex Hales, actually, who I bet is is feeling frustrated that he doesn't play Red Bull cricket. Uh, Rashid, you know, he's a talented bowler. He yeah. uh, He's played Test cricket, obviously. He's had the excitement of the World Cup. And the thing about, uh, you know, m- many of the, the guys involved in that World Cup win is that, you know, the Stokeses and Butlers and uh, Roots and so on have all got Test cricket to look forward to now. But some of them, you know, the Morgans and obviously Liam Plunkett out of the scene now and one or two of the others, Rashid, haven't got so much to look forward to. There's no World T20 until at least this time next year. So what what is going to sustain them between now and then? Well, you know, the chance to play some test cricket in Rashid's case must surely be quite exciting. Go to India and bowl on those pitches in those incredible grounds with the if they play in India, obviously. Um I think it must be something that would uh, would would excite a cricketer, even one who is a little bit reluctant uh, to play red ball cricket as Rashid is. Well, he's had this shoulder problem, which uh, often uh, bedevils leg spinners because you have to use so much shoulder to, to bowl leg spin. He's 32. Mm. He's played 19 test matches. He's taking, uh, in his career, he's taken 60 wickets and he averages 39, you know, really close on 40 uh, per wicket. Uh, well, 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 all right. If not him, then they, I, I don't feel that Dominic Bess is definitely the answer. The only thing is, Bess is young. He's mm. keen to learn. He's only played, say, a quarter of the number of games that, that Graham Swan had at this stage. Well, at his when he came into Test cricket, Swan had played 160 first-class games, and Bess has only played about 40. So, you know, he's definitely learning uh, on the international stage, which is never easy to do. He's young, so I think he will get there, and he's showing signs of of trying to find the right way of of taking wickets. He's looking at how Nathan Lyon bowls, and and that's a good person to to try and copy and emulate. So, I'm not sort of completely giving up on Dominic Best but I think he needs some help and he needs someone else who has a bit of mystery a bit of X factor in the spin department Uh, if that's not Rashid you know it could be Parkinson from Lancashire maybe or someone else but you know looking ahead they need someone a spinner who's going to do things on flat pitches yeah, well, it, that's the problem they've got, isn't it? At home, no problem at all because the the seam bowlers do the job, and then you know occasionally the spinner will get involved. I mean, until fairly recently, of course, it was Moen Ali who you know has got a pretty good Test match record. We're talking somebody who's taken 170 Test match wickets and made Test hundreds as well. I mean, you feel that? Do you feel there's an answer there, or, or is that you know, ship sailed, if you like? Yeah, I, th- I feel that ship sailed. I, I don't think Moen is a Test bowler. I mean, I know he's taken wickets, but uh, in a way, Bess is probably going to be ultimately a slightly better bowler. And and Moen's batting seems shot to bits in Test cricket. So I think I'd be looking to try and you know find somebody else. Um, it's not easy, obviously, with uh, the, the lack of cricket that we've had this summer as well mm. to, to test out some, some new young players. Let's, uh, let's just uh, move the conversation on a little bit. Um, we, we got Andrew Sampson uh, involved again today because I thought it'd be quite interesting to, to look at the, the unusualness of England enforcing the follow-on. How unusual is it? And um, obviously, in, in a way, this game has sort of fallen into their lap a little bit because Pakistan were out just before the end of play so it made sense to enforce the follow-on because he knew that the bowlers would if they hadn't 
if they had had to bowl a couple of overs last night, it wouldn't be for long, and then they'd be nice and fresh again today. But actually, surprisingly, Joe Root has, has, has enforced the follow-on more than I was expecting. Joe Root um, got the opportunity to enforce the follow-on the fourth time in his, his career as captain, and it's the third time he's actually enforced the follow-on. As we are aware these days, most often teams decline to enforce the follow-on, uh, which is a trend that's kind of really embedded since about 2014. Uh, there have been 68 opportunities to enforce the follow-on since the start of 2014, and only 27 times has the captain actually enforced the follow-on in Test cricket. That's but, a little bit higher look, than I was expecting, actually. That's, that's nearly yeah. half. Yeah, well, that's about 40% it's enforced. So if you, if, but if you look at the, the kind of margins, that, the, the lead that teams have had, when they've enforced the follow-on and when they haven't. It becomes much higher if the follow-on's around about, if the first innings leads around about 300. Because in that case, it's now 19 times the follow-on's actually been enforced and eight times that it hasn't been enforced out of 27 opportunities. And Joe Root's in line with that because the three times he's enforced the follow-on, uh, the, the lead's been 346, 310 and 290. And the one time he didn't enforce the follow-on, England's lead was 217. Noticed yesterday was that Azhar Ali decided, having been not out in Pakistan's first innings, he decided to open the innings when they were asked to follow on. Yes, he walked out to take the field, but then uh, they didn't bowl a ball. And then this morning, I found he wasn't opening the batting. So, can you explain that? Yes, um, it's law twenty-five point two, which says that the innings of the opening batsmen start only at the call of play. Um, so, the scorers will start the clock when there's a call of play at the start of a session or at the start of a day, um, whereas a batsman's innings, would, if he comes in after the fall of a wicket, starts, the clock starts uh, as he crosses the field, as he crosses the road to go into the field. So last night there was no call of play, so Azhar Ali's innings hadn't started, so there was no, there was no, um, he wasn't compelled to come and open this morning. I bet, did, did you know that? That Law 25... Point two or something. I I did not, Yoz, and mm. that, that was a new one on me. Uh, mainly, I think because it, it, you know I've never seen a situation like that happen before. It, you know, it's, it, what normally happens is if a player's playing well, they're sort of almost like happy to sort of walk off and, and and take a rest and let the openers do their job. But as a you know, he played so well yesterday, and and he he's a number three, of course, as well, and he's the captain. He almost felt like. He felt compelled to sort of take it on because he, he's had so much criticism. It's actually a great way of sort of leading for your side, actually, and protecting uh, one of your uh, opening batsmen. My wife actually made a very good point. She said to me this morning, well, even if he'd gone out, he could have just retired hurt, couldn't he? Mm. You know, if they said play yeah. and he'd faced one ball, he could, he could have retired her. I don't know whether that's all against the spirit of the game. You know, so then old, you know, Sean Massoud comes in or Abid Ali or whatever to replace him. Then he comes in at, at number three. But I mean, that would be one way of sort of getting around that sort of situation anyway. Anyway, it, it, yeah, well, it, it, it's funny, isn't it? The, the game throws up all sorts of, of new things, things you, you haven't seen before. Right. It's a very simple game. Score runs take wickets, but uh, <laughs> beneath it all, there is so much uh, yeah. complexity. I uh, I was once um, pushed up to open. I, I've batted in every position for Middlesex, actually. And once uh, I was actually the number one, and it was because uh, we uh, we were playing at Uxbridge, which is a famously quite a difficult pitch 
at the start of the innings, does a lot with the new ball and then flattens out. And so uh, in the first innings against, I think it was Warwickshire or Essex, no, it was Essex, I think, uh, we, we got uh, bowled out for about 200 or something and we they got 400. So uh, we, we were asked to follow on. And I was not out at number nine. I was the not out batsman, about 25 not out or something. So Mike Gatting said, well, go on, you can open again. There's only about 15 minutes left for play. Uh, I was effectively like a night watchman opener. Mm. So I went in to bat again and uh, got a sort of about a fifth baller or something out. And uh, with the score at the end of the, the next day was 300 for one. So uh, Gatting and Haynes put on, they both got about 200 each or something. And we were finished up about 500 or something. But I was, it was one of those stupid scorecards, which two people got two, nearly 200 and one person got naught. And that was me. And you were done by the new ball, presumably. Done by the new ball. Yeah, because it's well. That's the other thing as well, isn't it? It's very different. Uh, yeah. You know, at the end of an innings, but actually, what happened last night was that Azarelli was facing a lot of the new ball, wasn't he, or a newish ball? So he he'd already had practice against a, mm. a new ball, and he, and he was so in yesterday, and he he was in again today. I mean, England didn't really look like uh, dislodging him, and it's been a great match. For the number threes in, in this game, Azar Ali with a hundred and Zach Crawley with a, a double hundred. And if, if Azar, uh, you know, if we do get some decent play on the fifth day, who, who's to say Azar Ali won't dig in for a, for another hundred at number three? The, the pitch looks decent enough. There doesn't seem to be much there for the for the spinner. You'd hope there'd be more on a on a fifth day pitch. Doesn't look to be uh, very much so far. The ball still just nips a bit. You know, it still gives something to the seamers. But it's been one of those test matches where the ball has gone past the outside edge. Of lot rather than taking the outside edge a lot we've only i don't know if you've noticed this guys we've only had 20 wickets in the first four days of the test match uh, we have lost uh, play to bad weather we have lost mm. time but we've only had 20 wickets so far it's been it's been hard work and we've become i think so used to test cricket in england where uh, the ball is always in the game and it's made it really uh, exciting i think it's fair to say uh, today it was one of those days where you think um you can sort of understand why t20 works you know why people like t20 and why you know there are t20 leagues going all around the world while the caribbean premier league is being played at the moment and the ipl is coming up and the big bash will be played and the blast is going to be played you know you can you have a day's test cricket like today you can mm. understand that but you know we have to put up with the bad to appreciate the good and we've had a you know a couple of, of belting days at test cricket this summer i was thinking the last day at the gs bowl in the first test and the, the last day at old trafford in the first test of the england pakistan series and you look at it now actually second test drawn pakistan i think i mean i would have thought they've got a good chance of saving this game if especially if some of the, the you know weather comes in tomorrow and knocks out some of the play they'll look back at that old trafford test match and thought what an opportunity mm. what an opportunity we missed to win the series yeah, that's that's very true, and it it, um, it it does show how the sort of psychological swing can uh, can affect a team, and I suppose it's the beauty of Test cricket, really. And you know, I've just done a book uh, with with Manoj Badali, the the owner of the Rajasthan Royals, looking at the the future of the game. And you know, while a lot of us think that a lot of people think that we're we're modernists who are sort of trying to uh, make everything T Twenty and IPL and all that, we actually do love Test cricket because of the the narratives it throws up because of the individual duels because of these swings of psychological uh, pressure and and uh, superiority that you get in the sequence of a three test series or a five test series uh, you can't 
you can't have that in in T20 at all. Uh, it, it, you know, it's just it's like the difference between a, a, a cordon bleu meal and you know fast food, isn't it? Really, mm. but fast food does sustain you well on certain days. I would have loved today to have had a, a Chinese rather than uh, ploughing through a four-course meal because it wasn't very tasty, this particular meal. But maybe tomorrow we'll throw up something. And it's something to look forward to that Anderson, uh, that he gets his, his 600th test wicket. I, I said when I saw him take four for in that World Cup match in 2003 in Cape Town against Pakistan, I said, that guy will get 200 test wickets, confidently. <laughs> Well, you're right. He did get 200. He just took another 399 plus more. Amazing. Amazing. It, 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 it is astonishing. 17 years ago, I was there when he made his debut against uh, Zimbabwe at Lords. You know, how the, yeah. the time And his first wicket by. was? Oh, that I'll I can't. Tell you. I'll tell that you. I can't remember. Mark Vermeulen. Mark Vermeulen, right, yeah. 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 Not not the most auspicious wicket. But... Well, if he gets one, to, if he gets one first thing tomorrow, it will be a decent wicket, won't it? Because it'll either be Azarali or or Barbara Zam, but both uh, you know decent or well, high class players. So uh, you know, there's the opportunity for him if they can get on the field. England got eight wickets to take. I suppose it's all about how much play we're going to get tomorrow. That there's a there's a lot of rain coming in overnight in Southampton. The forecast for the sort of second part of the day is much better, but the what, what we I think what we've one of the things we've noticed on this ground is how long it takes to dry out. You think of something like Lords where the drainage is fantastic. You know, you can have a, the ground can be flooded one minute and then you're you're playing sort of 45 minutes later. It doesn't seem to be quite the case at at Southampton despite the fact that you know all around all in the south all the you know all the fields are biscuit brown and you know we're absolutely desperate for rain, but the Gia's Bowl is probably about, the outfield there is probably about the greenest place in the country at the moment, and that might actually hinder England a bit on the on the final day if we get all that weather that's being uh, forecast overnight. Yeah, there does seem to be a cloud that's been sort of hanging around <laughs> the Aegeus Bowl for well, most of the last six weeks. And well, and Old Trafford dumps. as well. Yeah, and Old yeah. Trafford as well. You know, been, been, Any, anyway, yeah. there's white people wearing whites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, let's uh, have fingers crossed and feet crossed that uh, there is some play tomorrow and England can wrap up the series and Jimmy can get his 600th wicket. So we'll be back at this time tomorrow to review the final day's play, the final day's play of the Test Match Summer. Hope you can join us for that. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.